welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues the series on the disciples with a look at Judas. What can we learn from his life? Let's listen. Well, my wife and I visited recently a marine art museum where everything in the museum was themed to be about boats, water, or something in the marine world. And I got to admit, I was a little skeptical at first, but it was a really neat opportunity. It was a neat museum. And there was one painting in particular that really grabbed my attention. You can see it up here on the, the screen behind me. Now, I'm curious what first grabs your attention in this picture, but I look at this and I see a man who's alone in a boat, a really small boat. The waves look pretty rough, but then pretty soon my eyes are drawn to the sharks all around the boat. I wonder if you can see them. The shark fins completely surrounding the boat. There's probably about six of them, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but he has no paddles, none at all. So I look at this, and the question in my mind is, where do you turn to when you are surrounded by the problems of life? You know, when you keep catching bad breaks, when nothing seems to go right, where do you turn to? Those are the questions that I want you to keep in your mind today as we continue with our study of studying Jesus' disciples. Because what we're doing is we're studying these earliest disciples and saying, okay, the way that they walked, their road of discipleship, how does that impact us and the way that we walk it today? And the disciple that we are going to learn from this morning is Judas. Now, you may be wondering, what can we possibly learn from Judas? Isn't Judas the one who betrayed Jesus? And, and yes, he is, but he was also one of the original 12 disciples, meaning that at some point he was chosen, chosen by Jesus to be a part of that inner circle, but something changed in him that led him off of that path of discipleship. I believe it's important for us to not only study the success stories of discipleship, but also the stories of when things go wrong. Because sometimes we get off track, don't we? You know, we all probably know someone who used to follow Jesus, but who follows Jesus no longer. And none of us in this room are going to be so extreme as Judas was in betraying Jesus, but there is still much that we can learn from him in the way that he exited this path of discipleship. Now, I want to begin our study of Judas by looking at something that Jesus said when he first called all of his disciples, and it was a way for him to really empower the ministry of these disciples. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Something a bit shocking to realize is that Judas is included in this. At one point in his ministry, Judas had the authority to drive out demons. At one point, Jesus or Judas had the power from God to heal diseases, and we can assume that he did both of these things sometime in his ministry. Yes, there was a reason 
that Judas chose to follow Jesus. He didn't have to. No one forced him to, but something in his heart came to believe what Jesus said and choose to put himself out there and say, I want to follow. And honestly, isn't this why anybody follows Jesus? Any one of us come to believe that Jesus' words are true. They, they come to believe to say, okay, if I follow Jesus, then something in me is going to change. There's an anticipation about what our future may look like, of the possibilities. Yes, everyone starts out on the path of discipleship because they believe that their life will be better for it. And Judas was no exception. So what we need to study then is what changed. What changed in Judas's heart and what changed in his life that eventually led him off of that path? no longer seeking to follow Jesus. I mean, how did he go from someone who was so eager to do miracles in Jesus's name to someone who ultimately betrayed him? Well, we're given a hint of what went wrong in a story that John tells us in his gospel. So in this story, there's a dinner party that's happening, and it's a dinner party that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are all throwing, and they're doing it in honor of Jesus. And the 12 disciples are there as well. After dinner is complete, Mary takes this very expensive bottle of perfume. You may have heard this story before. And she comes to Jesus, and without any sort of announcement, she begins to, to use the perfume on Jesus' feet. This would have been a shocking moment. Uh, we're told that the entire house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. But Jesus, Jesus interpreted this to be a beautiful moment. He said, she is preparing me for my upcoming burial because he recognized what was coming. And he recognized that he soon would die. But one disciple in particular took issue with this. One disciple was really outraged that this had happened and that disciple was Judas. Here's what we're told. It says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, most of us in this room would probably agree with Judas, wouldn't we? And that's kind of a dangerous statement to make, right? Agreeing with Judas but he sounds very practical here, doesn't he? If that perfume really was worth a year's wages, it seems very practical to sell it and use that money for those who really desperately needed it. On the surface, this seems entirely reasonable. But John, who's writing this story down, years after it happens, he adds a note about Judas's motivation. Here's what he says. Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Okay, we can learn two things from John's statement here. The first is that Judas was the treasurer for the disciples. What this implies is that over those three years that the disciples traveled together, they pooled their money together. So when they had to buy a meal that everyone would share in, 
or if they had to pay for lodging for a night, it would come out of a common fund. Judas must have been so trusted by the disciples that they put him in charge of all of the money. Judas was their treasurer. We also know from this statement that Judas stole from the common fund. We're told he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now think about this for a second. Judas' theft was obviously done in secret, wasn't it? I mean, none of the disciples realized what happened until after the fact. And so in his heart, Judas has removed himself from the community of the 12 disciples. It's a really interesting statement here. Because originally, these 12 disciples are all together in this. And they're saying, we're following Jesus. We are the chosen 12. We are going to follow Jesus anywhere, and they're together in this. But Judas, at some point, for reasons we don't exactly know, secretly started to remove himself from that community. He started stealing from them. He started saying, okay, yeah, we've got this mission out here that you believe in, but I believe in it a little bit less right now because this is what I'm willing to do. Yes, he removed himself from that community of disciples. We're supposed to apply this to our lives today. And here's one thing that I think is a take-home for us based on what we're reading here about Judas. You'll be most successful as a disciple when you surround yourself with a supportive faith community. And it's, it's ideal when you have a church that, that encourages you and supports you and welcomes you in your own walk of discipleship. And it's even better when you get to know a smaller group within that body of Christ that really gets to know you and says, we want to be there for you as you're walking this road. And it's when we choose to take a step away from community that discipleship becomes a lot harder. Now, sometimes we can do this physically, but oftentimes we kind of just take a step back in our heart, don't we? And we're not as invested. Nobody found out what was going on inside of Judas and inside his heart until years later. But as his heart drifted further from God, he became more jaded and he became more disenfranchised with what the mission of Jesus really was going to be. So much so that finally, towards the end of those three years, he took a step, a step away from Jesus that would have been very hard to come back from. In Matthew's gospel again, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? Judas makes the choice to say, okay, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I don't believe in this mission that I've spent three years giving my life to. And he goes to the chief priests, the chief priests who are the main adversaries of Jesus, the ones who are looking for an opportunity to arrest him. And he says, what will you give me if I turn Jesus over to you? Now, these chief priests had a problem. I mean, they wanted to arrest Jesus, but Jesus was always surrounded by crowds, crowds of enthusiastic supporters, and they were not going to get in between Jesus and these enthusiastic crowds. And so they couldn't find a time to arrest Jesus, at least not until Judas comes. Judas makes the decision 
to betray Jesus, one of Jesus' own 12 who learned from him, who sat through his teachings for three years, decides, I'm no longer a follower. What we can learn from this is that proximity to Jesus does not guarantee faithfulness. And what I mean by that is Judas was around Jesus all of the time. He had the proximity, but he didn't allow the teachings of Jesus to really influence his heart. He didn't allow those teachings to really impress themselves upon his soul. It makes me think, I mean, we can go to church every day of our lives, but unless we're really allowing God to use this time to speak to our hearts, to impress upon our souls, then it's not going to make the difference in discipleship that we want it to. Yes, Jesus, Judas, was around Jesus, but did not really allow his life to be led by Jesus. And so finally, he makes this decision. He goes to the chief priests, and he basically says, I can get you Jesus without a crowd, so what will you give to me? And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over when the crowds were not present. Okay, for Judas to betray Jesus, he would have had to been paid a fortune, right? Wrong. 30 pieces of silver in this time period was a pitiful amount. It was a pittance. But the amount didn't matter to Judas. All he was looking for at this time was an excuse. He'd made up his mind that this was what he was going to do. So Jesus now, he takes his disciples and he goes out, and this is after the Last Supper, he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus intends to have an extended time of prayer. But notice, this is a time when no crowds are present. And it's at this moment that Judas sneaks away. He sneaks away and then gets a, a mob, an armed mob together, to go and forcefully arrest Jesus. We're told while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Now I want you to notice what Judas calls Jesus. He calls him Rabbi. And at first blush, this shouldn't be very surprising to us, uh, because a rabbi simply means teacher. But what's interesting is that none of the other disciples called Jesus rabbi. What do they call him instead? They call him Lord, because they realize that Jesus is more than simply a teacher, that Jesus is God incarnate, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that yes, they've learned from Jesus. Yes, Jesus has taught them over three years, but the teaching is not all who Jesus is. Jesus is God himself. What we learn here is that the majority of the disciples, the 11 disciples, recognized not only Jesus' teachings, but his lordship, that Jesus is meant to be learned from and to be worshiped. But Judas no longer believes this. Judas simply calls him rabbi, recognizing that he is a teacher. And when he does that, 
he gives him a kiss. And with that kiss is a signal that he is the person that they need to go and now arrest. If that's what Judas calls Jesus, I want you to notice how Jesus responds. And particularly, I want you to notice what Jesus calls Judas. Because in this moment, I mean, I would think Jesus sees it all out in front of him. Jesus knows he has been betrayed. He knows he's going to be arrested. And the immense pain that's going to come from that. So Jesus could have said a number of things to Judas here. But here's what Jesus says to him instead. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Jesus calls Judas a friend. Now, if I were in Jesus' shoes, I'd have a fair amount of other names that I might like to call Judas. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus calls him friend. And if you continue reading, you'll realize these are the last words that Jesus ever speaks to Judas. The last word that echoes in Judas's ears is friend, friend. Now, again, apply this to us. Chances are you've been hurt by someone before. You have felt betrayed. You have felt maybe lied to or stabbed in the back by someone. And it's tempting in those moments to view that person in your own mind as the ultimate enemy, the person that is just wrong in every way, rather than a fellow human who also makes mistakes, sometimes even massive ones, just like us. What Jesus is doing here is he's calling us to a higher standard at our lowest moment. Jesus calls him friend, but then the mob drags Jesus away, and no more words can be spoken. So my question, and this is how we end every week as we're studying these disciples, how does this story end? Judas's story. Judas, who once was this aspiring disciple and then left that path of discipleship, how does his story end? And we're told this is what he does next. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Yes, Judas was filled with remorse. Deep inside of him, he realized that what he had done to Jesus was incredibly wrong. He had betrayed innocent blood, and, and more than that, he had betrayed his friend. And in this moment, he tries to fix the situation. He, he travels back to the chief priests, and he tries to give them the money back to say, here, take these 30 coins of silver. I don't want them anymore. What do you think he's trying to do in that moment? I think in some way he's trying to make things right. Maybe absolve himself from some guilt. Or maybe he thinks, okay, if I give the money back, you'll stop all of this. You'll go and release Jesus. Maybe we can just pretend all of this never happened. We don't know exactly what his motivation is. But the chief priests want nothing to do with that. They've gotten what they wanted. And so here's their response. They say, what is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. This overwhelmed with guilt, Judas ends his life. And still echoing in his mind the last word that Jesus said to him, 
He called him a friend. He tried to remind Judas who he really was in the midst of Judas making the biggest mistake of his life. Now, I have no doubt that if Judas would have gone to Jesus in remorse and repentance, that Jesus would have forgiven him in an instant. But he didn't. He went to the chief priests instead. Apply this once again to us. What do we do when we feel like we've let God down? And so often, we hide, don't we? We hide just like Judas did. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve hiding when they feel like they've done God wrong. Yes, within ourselves, we kind of close off a part of our heart, don't we? To say, okay, I'm not talking to God anymore. Maybe God's, I feel like God's disappointed in me. Or, or maybe there's something that I've done that I just feel like I can't face right now. If that's where we are at any point in our walk of discipleship, we need to remember this story. Because these are times that we must approach God, recognizing that this is a God who is full of love, always quick to forgive. Yes, there is much to learn from this tragic story of Judas. But here's probably my main takeaway. There will be times that I wander off the path of discipleship, and I don't think I'm alone in that. There will be times that I feel like I've disappointed God, Times where even in my heart, maybe I cut myself off from community, the community that encourages me. But you know what? In those moments, what we must remember is Jesus calls us friend. That is who we are. That is our most true identity. In times of struggle, Jesus does not judge us, but Jesus welcomes us, and Jesus supports us, and Jesus will always seek to steer us back on that path of life. That's what Judas's story really teaches us in the end. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.